Right. Good morning. Good morning. And oh dear, I'm I'm going to do things a little different today. Uh, I've got a PowerPoint put together, but I don't think I could get through the whole chapter using the PowerPoint. There's so much here, so we're going to kind of condense it and boil it down. Uh, and I'm going to use Cindy's iPad today because that way I can get the real big print in front of me and I can read it easier. Uh, the one I normally use is uh, New King James, which is a large print edition, which my daughter bought for me years ago. So today it's going to be the English Standard Version. And uh, let's pray before we start. Lord God, <clears throat> as we go into your word today, I pray that you prepare our hearts. <coughs> uh, Prepare me, uh, help me to speak your words, Lord, and not my own. Help us to, uh, to hear the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you have been reading along, and you were reading chapter 7, and then you finish chapter 7, and you begin with verse 1, chapter 8, did you notice a difference? Probably not, because you're reading in the English standard, or in the English version. But if you were reading in the original manuscripts, you'd go, whoa, he just switched languages on us here. He changed from Aramaic to Hebrew. And remember we talked about that earlier, that uh, the, the first chapter was written in Hebrew, and then in two verses, two I believe, or after verse two, he began in Aramaic, and he continues in Aramaic all the way through chapter six, or chapter seven, I mean, and I believe this is because those messages in Aramaic were written to the entire world. It was focusing in on the world was events that was going on. Now he's switching to Hebrew because he's narrowing in. And this is specifically to the, uh, to the Israelites that he's speaking now. This is messages to the nation of Israel. And then again to us, the church, because we are an extension of that. We are God's chosen people as well, chosen in Him before the foundation of the earth, the Scriptures tell us. So let's read uh, Daniel chapter 8, verse 1, and I'll begin reading here. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after which appeared to me at the first. Remember last one, he started out, he said, in the first year of Belshazzar, and now it's in the third year of Belshazzar that he has this vision. So we're looking at roughly 15, 16 years before the end of the Babylonian kingdom that this vision happens. <clears throat> and I saw a vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel which is in the province of Elam. That doesn't mean much to us, and it probably didn't register with Daniel either, but Susa would be where Cyrus would have his capital. That would be the capital of Persia. So this is where Daniel is transported in his vision. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal, and I raised my eyebrow, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. Now this is a vision of Daniel, and we're going to learn later who this goat represents, or the ram, I'm sorry, who the ram represents, and it represents, any guesses? The goat or the ram? The ram. That's supposed to be Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia. And if you were a historian reading this, after the fact, you'd go, I know what he's talking about. 
In fact, do you remember the first part of Daniel? He got uh, the higher critics had a heyday with him because he was getting his facts all wrong. They said, no, it wasn't the third year of Jehoiakim, it was the fourth year. It wasn't the second of Nebuchadnezzar, it was the third year. And we explained to the critics why that wasn't true because of the way they reckoned. And they said in chapter 3, well, Daniel's naming musical instruments that didn't even exist in his day because they were from different, con- different parts of the country. Well, this was an international event, and the, that they were there. And on and on, he's criticized for not having his facts straight. Now he's going to be criticized because he's got his facts too straight. He can't win. He's, he's getting this stuff, and he's nailing it right. So any historian reading this after the fact is going to go, I know who he's talking about. He's talking about the, 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 the horn is lower. Well, that's the Medes. Darius Mede was two years before Cyrus took over. The, the, the higher uh, horn came up last, Cyrus. Okay, makes perfect sense. Daniel, you couldn't have written this before the fact because it's too good. Uh, I raised and I saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. That would be Cyrus. I saw the ram charging westward, northward, and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. This was the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, If you've read the book of Esther, when did that take place? During this time frame. About 480, I believe, was Esther, 470-480. So in the later later days of the uh, middle, middle days of the Persian Empire. (coughs) Uh, as I was considering behold a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground and the goat had a conspicuous horn between its eyes he came to the ram with the two horns which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal and he ran at him in his powerful wrath I saw him close to the ram and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns And the ram had no power to stand before him. He cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Again, historians are going to look at this. They're going to say, that's Greece. One horn, what's that represent? Alexander Alexander the Great, the the first king. Uh, Alexander took over from his father. Alexander was very uh, aggressive, energetic and uh, enterprising young man. But his father had already built a massive army, a very, very strong army. Uh, One thing they had going for them is their national pride, Greek nationalism. So when they went and fought, they were fighting for the Greek empire. Uh, Were the Medes? Not so much. They were were fighting out of fear and out of of, uh, probably mercenary, more mercenary than the the Greeks were. The Greeks were, uh, were the home team. And uh, they, were, they were very aggressive. And uh, you've probably heard the term Hellenization. You all understand what Hellenization, uh, the spreading of the Greek culture. Now, <clears throat> Alexander did spread the Greek culture, but I don't think he was an evangelist for Greece so much as he was, he was seeking power. Uh, the, the, the expanding of the culture was uh, incident to that. And the Greek culture was very popular. What did they have? Art, art 
music. They had the things that people wanted. Yeah, the, the Parthenon, the architecture. Uh, everything Greek was cool. They were the rock stars. And people wanted to be Greek. And Alexander going around and conquering these nations, I don't think he had to get on the stump and, and preach Greek culture. It was, it was just very popular. And, uh, and it was what people wanted. So they were embracing it. And they wanted to be Greek. And, uh, and he conquered. And uh, he was in his 30s, I believe. He was a young man. And some, one, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, it's a good story, I guess, that uh, when he was uh, considered that he conquered the entire known world, he sat down and he wept because there was no more worlds to conquer. I don't know if that's true or not, but it does sound uh, like a good story. <clears throat> but at any rate, in his, uh, in his 30s, he died suddenly. And uh, that's debated today. Did he, uh, was he poisoned or did he die of natural causes? Uh, there's no, there's no real commentary on it. Historians are, can't really even piece it together, so it's just an unknown. But as I was considering, okay, where'd we land? There was no one addressing. Okay, the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So when Alexander died, uh, it was sudden. He wasn't expecting to die. No, I know I wasn't at 30 years old. I thought I'd live forever when I was in my 30s, and you probably did too, and didn't make provisions for it. Very, some people did put away a savings account, but some didn't, and, Alexander was no exception. He didn't think he was going to die. He wasn't ready. He made no provisions for his kingdom to go to someone else. So his four generals uh, duked it out. Uh, some say that, uh, that they partialed it out. Some say they fought over it. I would imagine they fought over it because uh, for the next hundreds of years, it was pretty much uh, <clears throat> infighting between the four, uh, the four dynasties. There was the north, the south, the east, and the west dynasties. And, uh, but under them, the Greek, uh, the Greek culture continued to thrive. It was still very popular. Uh, in fact, some of the Greeks, or some of the Greeks, some of the Jews in uh, Jerusalem began to embrace the Greek culture. They built the Colosseum in Jerusalem. Uh, they built the... Uh, uh, Greek bathhouses, and they tried to become Greek. And some of it, uh, anybody heard of the books of Maccabees? Okay. Uh, they're they're what, what we'd call deuterocanonical. I think even the Catholics consider them deutero, deuterocanonical, meaning aside from the canon. They're not considered inspired scripture, but they're very good historic documents. And they talk about this time period. And in the Maccabees, they tell that uh, some of the Jews even had surgery to uh, hide their circumcision. I don't really want to know more about that, but uh, probably so they wouldn't be so conspicuous in the bathhouses, but whatever. Uh, and, but they weren't being persecuted for their religion at this point. They were still pretty much free to practice their religion as long as they gave uh, their their tithes and their taxes and their uh, whatever was required of them from 
from the Greek government. They were pretty much left alone, but they began to embrace uh, this culture. <clears throat> Another thing that began to happen was being a priest was very lucrative. And uh, now you could become a priest if you had enough money. You didn't have to be a Levite. You just had to have the right connections and the right amount of money. And uh, there were even uh, murders committed, so there would be openings for someone to purchase uh, the priesthood. And Sometimes their political system is a little better. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, so here again. Uh, here again, the historians are saying, you know, you, you couldn't have known this, Daniel. Four horns, right. Okay, but here it is. And, uh, and it gets worse because uh, verse 9, out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. So this little horn came up. Where have we seen this before? A little horn coming up. It's only a week ago. Fourth beast. The fourth beast. This one came out of the third empire, right? The one last week came out of the fourth empire. Are they the same? Are they different? Yes. <laughs> yes. I believe, they're, they, I believe they do have a lot of similarities, and I believe that they, there's a lot of dirt, and there's one big difference here. Uh, and towards the glorious land, Daniel, of course, here is speaking of uh, Jerusalem. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great even as the prince of the host. Who's the prince of the host? He, came, he became great against, he became as great as the prince of the host. I think he's making himself as great as God. Uh, this little horn was uh, Antiochus IV. His father, Antiochus III, was the king of the northern, northern dynasty. And uh, by now the, the Romans had begun to, to rise to power. And they were flexing their muscles. And they were exacting tribute from this northern dynasty. Antiochus III was the father. And he wasn't paying his fair share in taxes. So they took him off to Rome and put him in prison. And his son was to become the king. But his younger son said, No, I don't think I want my brother. I think I want it to be me. So he killed his brother. And he took the name Antiochus IV. And then he gave himself the surname Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, there's several different uh, thoughts on this. Epiphanes can mean the glorious one. And some, some, uh, some even say uh, godlike. Antiochus the god. And when you, re when you hear about him, you might think he probably did consider himself to be Antiochus the God, Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, the Jews had another name for him. It was Antiochus Epimenes. Epimenes means madman. And uh, he definitely was a madman. Uh, he had 
and uh, unholy hatred, uh, a demonic hatred for everything that was Jewish. Prior to him, uh, the Jews were pretty much left alone. All they had to do was pay their tributes, their taxes. And when they came and said, we want half of your fruit, they oh, here's half your fruit. And, and life was good. Not under Antiochus. Under, okay, Antiochus. How do you pronounce it? Antiochus. Do you? Amen, Pastor. Just say Epiphanes. <laughs> huh? Just keep saying Epiphanes. Okay. A lot of say Antiochus. And, uh, and I looked it up, and it was funny because they did a montage of different preachers, and one's going Antiochus, one's going Antiochus. Uh, there's about four different ways of pronouncing it, and uh, we'll just stick with Antiochus, Epiphanes, or whatever. But, uh, so anyway, uh, under him, things had changed dramatically. And now, this is the vision, and I'm telling you the answers, what the angels are going to give later. But because we already know who it is, we don't have to try to fool ourselves and guess what's coming next, because we know who it is. <clears throat> so he grew toward the east, he grew even great to the host of heaven, and so, that would be God. And some of the host and some of the stars were threw down to the ground and trampled on them. Now here's where I'm saying, uh, he is, yes, he's like the little horn in the previous chapter, but he's also different. Because Antiochus is, uh, how do we call that? You heard of the near fulfillment and the far fulfillment in prophecy, right? No? Okay. I've heard of it. Okay. There's, there's, there's several prophecies uh, where the prophecy is given in the Old Testament and it's fulfilled in the very near future. But it's only a partial fulfillment. It's only a prefiguring of the the, the real reason for the uh, for the prophecy, <clears throat> and that would be the case here. Antiochus Epiphanes was a near fulfillment of this prophecy, but he doesn't fulfill it in its complete detail. Go ahead, Pastor. To give another example, in Matthew, when Jesus is speaking. He warns of the tribulation that's to come. That would be a near far, because in the near, it was referencing the period of time approximately 1870 to 1873 in Jerusalem when it fell. And then there was a far application which would apply to the great tribulation of the end days. So that would be a near far. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> but is, part, is it partially being done in the near? Is that the way it is, and then complete it later, or is it like two different um, prophecies? No, it's 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 the same prophecy, but there would be two applications for it, and it depends on which one um, is is a question um, as to whether how far out it goes. For instance, some of the near far applications do apply to whatever the end times are, but some of them were a lot sooner. They were probably fulfilled uh, by the time Israel completely fell around AD 70. And one of the near fires would be Jesus, uh, the prediction, uh, behold, a virgin shall conceive in uh, Isaiah. 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 Uh, That was fulfilled shortly after. 
And <laughs> that, that can be problematic too because the Hebrews didn't have a word for virgin. They had a, ver- a word that was young woman. And just like, remember Daniel, the young man was 15 to 17 years old, is a very specific time frame. Same with the, the Hebrew word for young woman, very specific. A seven, 15 to 17 year old girl was a virgin. Not like today. Okay? So, so when, when the Greek says, Behold, a young woman shall conceive, virgin. Okay. Now, this was not a virgin birth because she got married, had, had the child. But it was still a prefiguring of behold, and Jesus used that. Or who, who, who said, behold, a young woman shall conceive? But that was in Matthew, wasn't Matthew it? Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, yeah. So there would be a near and far and both fulfilled already. No more, to, no more needed of that one. But this one... And the one pastor's talking about, they have future fulfillments that we have not yet seen. <clears throat> Excuse me, still, uh, still got a little throat issue from that nasty stuff. What, what do you call that stuff? CS? RSV. RSV. And I RSVP'd to it on Monday and, <laughs> and, and got it. And... I, I think it's important, though, if, if we go back, because you brought up Isaiah 7 in regards to the virgin birth. Mm-hmm. And we understand the wording, we understand the, the, the language of the Hebrews, but one of the things that you have to realize is that the scripture is the best commentary on itself. Correct. And we know that it had to have been a virgin birth because of the sin nature that would have been passed on from the father, from Adam, and had Jesus actually had that within himself, he would have had a sin nature just like everybody else did. Yeah, and so I think that we we want to make sure that even if the wording is not correct or it's a different wording in another translation, that we understand um, what the Bible and what the church has held to for two thousand years of, of yeah. history. And I think it was the NIV that got roasted for using the word "young woman" in its translation of uh, of Isaiah. They didn't use the word "virgin." Because Hebrew did not have a word. Uh, Greeks do. Par, par, what, what is the word? Partha? <laughs> Come on, Samuel. The Greek word for virgin. I can't remember. I wanted to say Parthenos, but, I, but that may be wrong. But anyway, the Greeks do have a word for it. And the LXX, I didn't even talk about that yet, did I? The LXX. Uh, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures uh, has the word virgin in it because the Greeks had a word for it and they knew what the prophecy was about. So, and and that's, that, that would be another good point about Hellenization because by the, by the mid-Greek uh, empire, the, the, the Greek language was so widely spoken that the Hebrews, many of them had lost their Hebrew language. And they couldn't read Hebrew. So the, uh, the Jews commissioned a, a Greek Bible to be translated, a Greek Old Testament to be translated. I think this was around, around 200 B.C. is when the LXX, they called it the LXX, 70. Uh, that's because they said it took 70 days to translate it. Uh, it wasn't widely accepted by the Jewish rabbis, by the, by the religious Jews. They weren't accepting it. They didn't like the fact that there was... 
that there was going to be a Greek uh, equivalent to their scriptures. Uh, so the story came out that they took six scholars from every tribe and told them, go translate the Bible from Hebrew to Greek. And 70 days later, they came back and they all had exact duplicates, 12 exact copies. And so they called it the 70, the LXX, or Septuagint. Uh, 72 scholars in 70 days. But that's just a, that's probably as uh, good a story as Alexander uh, weeping because he couldn't commit any, or win any more countries. Out came a little horn, exceedingly great. It became great even as the prince of the host, and regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, and a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act, and it will prosper. So Antiochus was very aggressive. He's probably, he was, he was crazy, but he was very aggressive in many military campaigns. And, uh, and now it was, uh, well, at, at first it wasn't, but he went to Egypt because he wanted to expand his territory down there, and he got soundly defeated. And he and his army marched back, and he went through Jerusalem on the way, a people that he truly hated. And he was in, uh, he was in uh, not a very good mindset when he got there. He was in a bad mood. <clears throat> he set up altars in the temple. Uh, he set up a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. And uh, some, some historians say that the statue of Zeus even had his face on it. And uh, he had coins made with his face on them. And he also sacrificed a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies, on the Jewish, on the Jewish uh, altar. And he took the blood from that pig and he splattered it all over, the, all over the Holy of Holies and all over the temple. He cooked the meat and he forced the Jews to eat it. Those who wouldn't eat it, he put to death. And, uh, and he made it illegal. Now it was not just, we don't want you to do this anymore. Now it's illegal. Uh, no more, no more anything Jewish religion. No more circumcision. No more sacrifice. No more prayer. No more morning and daily prayer. Stop it all. Uh, you're done. You're not Jews anymore. You're Greeks. And uh, it wasn't a very popular thing to do. But he was ruling uh, as hard and fast as he could. So this is where the temple was desecrated, and they couldn't they couldn't offer their sacrifices there anymore. Uh, <clears throat> he left, and he left people in charge, and they built a fortress around the, the, the temple there, and it became their fort. And uh, he'd also left orders to go out throughout, uh, throughout Judea and enforce these, uh, these new laws. They came to a little town northwest of Jerusalem called Medina, and there was an old priest there by the name of uh, Maccabees. His first name was, oh, sorry, my brain's going toast on me here. Uh, <clears throat> he, Maccabees was the, was the, the surname. And uh, Matthias, Matthias Maccabees. And uh, they came to him. He was, the, he was the priest in town. And uh, 
they brought him to the temple, and they said, okay, this is going on all over, all over Judea now. People are giving up Judaism and we're, we're making sacrifices to the Greek gods. You go ahead and do the same, and we'll uh, give you the title of friend of the king. And Matthias said, no, not going to happen. About that time, another priest stepped up to make the sacrifice. Matthias picked up the sword and killed him on the spot. And then he killed the uh, Greek official and ran the rest of them out of town. And uh, he had six sons. So he and his sons gathered together and they head out for the hills because they knew that, that uh, bad things were coming. And uh, they said, any, any, uh, any Jews who are with us and willing to fight for Israel, join us. And he had a, quite a following, pretty good following. And uh, they went and they started doing guerrilla warfare, which is hit and run. They didn't face them in lines of battle. They would attack them uh, Sometimes when they were sleeping, whenever they could, they'd attack them. They'd do this hit-and-run guerrilla warfare, and they were very successful. And uh, after a few years, uh, they, were, they were making pretty good headways. Uh, Antiochus is off fighting other battles, and things aren't going so well in Jerusalem. But uh, Matthias dies, and, uh, and his son Judah, also known as Judas, Judas is the Greek pronunciation of the name Judah. Did you know that? Did you know that Judas, the disciple, is the same as Judah, the son of Jacob? Same name, just different pronunciation. So Judah Maccabees, and uh, he became known as Judah Maccabean, or Judas the Hammer. They became known as the Hammer, and, uh, and he was very good. And uh, if you read the book of of uh, First Maccabees, and if you've got one of these U versions of the Bible, did anybody have that on your on your phone? The U version, uh, uh, what's it called? The U version, the Holy Bible, the little red Bible. It's an app you can get. Uh, it's it's awesome. You can go in there, and there are three different translations. One is the Contemporary English. Uh, one is uh, Good News and one is the King James that have the uh, Apocrypha and the Deuterocanonicals in them. So you could read the Maccabees on your phone if you want to do that. And uh, read First Maccabees. It's an excellent history of what was going on between the Testaments, that gap that we very rarely hear about. And, uh, and they tell about this. And, and the exploits of Judas Maccabees is reminiscent of the Israels when they went, Israelites when they went and took, in, took over the land. Though vastly outnumbered, they were still winning battles against uh, against superior forces, and this went on for a while <laughs> until Judas cleared the temple. He kicked he kicked the Greeks out of Jerusalem. He uh, he clear, uh, cleansed the temple. They took down the altar. They took all the stones from the altar. They took everything that uh, that had been contaminated. Hauled it outside the temple walls and stacked it up. This is, we don't know what to do with it. Let's just put it here until we get a prophet that can tell us what to do with it. And then they got new stones and new items and re- rededicated the temple and began to offer sacrifices again. Uh, Antiochus heard about this and he was not happy at all. Uh, he told his chariot driver, we're going to Jerusalem. Uh, let's go. Don't stop till we get there. About that time, God struck him with an illness. 
uh, doesn't say what it was. It was abdominal pains, <clears throat> as according to the Maccabees. And, uh, but it still didn't stop him. Uh, he told his chariot driver, drive faster. And uh, pretty soon he fell out of the chariot. Uh, says he hit the ground with such force that every bone in his body ached. He couldn't even, couldn't even get back up again. They carried him off in a stretcher and put him in a tent, and that's where he died. Uh, his stench was so bad that, the, that his army and, and his men couldn't even go near him anymore. <clears throat> and, uh, and the Maccabees has a letter that he wrote while he's laying there dying, and he's, make, he's barga- bargaining with God. Let's make a deal. And, uh, and it didn't turn out that well. But, so Judas Maccabees uh, did cleanse the temple, and uh, Antiochus did die. Uh, then I heard a holy one speaking, and another one spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary, the, the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Uh, some of your translations say that sanctuary shall be cleansed. I think uh, some of your translations say 2,300 days. Uh, the King James and the New King James say 2,300 days. Now this is the this is the. Uh, uh, remember, I asked you about William Miller. My great, 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 great grandfather. This is where he went wrong. He said this was years. And uh, I don't know where he got his start date, but the end date was in 1848 or something like that. And uh, he took this to mean this, this cleansing of the temple was Christ returning. That was his take on it. Uh, the 2300 evenings gets, this is a very debated subject here. Uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't think it needs to be debated that hotly. But some go years, some go days. And then there's others that say, no, this is 2,300 evenings and mornings, therefore it's 1,150 days, evening and morning sacrifices. This doesn't say anything about evening and morning sacrifices. And where have we heard this term evenings and mornings before? Well, Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning and each day ends with and there was an evening and there was a morning the first day there was an evening there was a morning the second and so on and so forth that's a little bit counterintuitive to us because all my life I think of morning as starting the day you know start your day with Kellogg's cornflakes and or have another cup of coffee. You know, morning is the start of the day, but not for the ancients. One day ended, another day began when? Sundown. sundown. The day began at sundown. So the first thing you do in the ancients is you have a good night's sleep. Then you get up and have that bowl of cornflakes. But so God is being very specific in Genesis. He doesn't want us adding a gap between the days. He doesn't want us trying to make these days uh, a thousand years long. He says, no, there was a morning, there was an evening, that is considered a day. 
And here again, he's telling us this, this, uh, this angel is being very specific. He's saying 2,300 evenings and mornings. 2,300 24-hour periods. That's how long it's going to take. Now, <clears throat> what does it mean? I don't know. And I don't think we can know exactly. Uh, I got a little time. I'll tell you a story. Uh, <clears throat> when I was in uh, at Multnomah School of the Bible, I took a summer class, and it was to be co-taught by the uh, the dean of the of the seminary and Charles Ryrie. Anybody heard of Charles Ryrie? We used to joke about Charles Ryrie as a man who wrote the Bible, the Ryrie Study Bible. I think it was probably one of the very first study Bibles produced, and it was a very important work. Uh, but anyway, he, we, he co-taught the class, and but he had cancer, so he wasn't able to, uh, he was supposed to be 50-50, and he wound up coming for, uh, I think it was even less than a week that he did come, and he taught a section of class. And at the end, of, and at the, end the last day, uh, instead of having class uh, of his section anyway, he uh, had a round table, and he let us sit around the table and ask him questions. And there was maybe maybe eight of us in the class. And uh, he gave an answer that I'll never forget. I don't remember the question, though. And I do, I do remember that when the student asked the question, it wasn't me, it was another student asked the question, I thought, okay, there's about three possible ways he could go with this. I wonder which way he'll go. Instead, he blew my mind. He said... I don't know. Charles Ryrie. Yeah. So when I say I don't know, I'm I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, he by this time he had written twenty some books on theology. Do you use his theology books at uh, Frontier? Mm-hmm. Do you? So he's been around a while. Uh, very wise and learned man, and and. To say I don't know to a simple question it gave me gave me a different way of looking at uh, as my studying the Bible, but uh, the the I do have a I do have an interpretation. Uh, some say some say the twenty three hundred that we're talking six six years and three months if we go with the twenty three hundred days. That doesn't fit Antiochus's reign of terror. His, his reign of terror lasted about nine or ten years. So if we, they say, okay, let's, let's go with the uh, 1150 days then from the time Antiochus uh, desecrated the temple till the time Judas cleansed it. Doesn't fit that either. Not exactly. We're, we're missing uh, probably 50, 60 days there. So, so it's not exactly either. And then it occurred to me because the, Gabriel's going to give Daniel an answer. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli. And it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came to where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the end of time. There's your answer. The vision is for the end of time. And later he's going to say, 
the vision of the evenings and the mornings is true. This 2300 is for the end of time. It's one of those things that if you were alive during the time of the uh, Persians and you read this book, this chapter of Daniel, you wouldn't have known that it was that it was Alexander the Great coming. You wouldn't have even known it was the Greeks coming. You might have, you know, there might have been political discussions and stuff like that. But after it happened, you knew just exactly what it was. And uh, Bruce, I think you said this last time that one of the things about prophecy is a lot of it we won't know until the end. Know the prophecy. Admit you don't know what it means, but be ready because it'll be revealed to you. And the term I've been using is need-to-know basis. Well, it gets clearer as we get closer. Yeah, it, it just gets clearer as we get closer. And some of these things are much clearer today than, uh, than when Daniel hit it. So he came near to where I stood. He said, the vision is for the end of time. And when he... Can, can you imagine this? This is, this is a vision. Daniel's having a vision, and in his vision he falls on his face in the ground. At least he didn't get a bloody nose because it was in a vision, right? But, but this is a powerful vision. And he's on his face. And then when he spoke to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the later end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. Again, he's telling us this. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece, Alexander. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. The Greek never had the power it had under Alexander because now it was divided. Just like the Medo and Persian Empire was never as powerful as as Belshazzar or as Nebuchadnezzar's empire because it was divided and now it's divided into four parts Uh, and at the later end of their kingdom when transgressors have reached their limit okay when the transgressors have reached their limit a king with bold face who understands riddles shall arise and this is where under the Greek rule the Jews Remember, they had been returned. We haven't, Daniel hasn't talked about that yet. But the Greeks had, or the, the Jews had been returned to the land. Cyrus authorized them to go back, rebuild the temple, rebuild the streets, rebuild Jerusalem. And now, hundreds of years later, they're back to the same old cesspool that they crawled out of before. And they're sinning, they're selling the priesthood, they're murdering each other to become priests. Uh, they're, they're practicing the detestable practices of the Greeks. Uh, the LGBTQ plus community would have fit well back in there in the Greek Empire. They had bathhouses all over, and, and you could have just spread monkeypox around and been the thing to do. So, uh, the transgression has reached their limit, and that's when God allowed Antiochus Epiphanes, or he maybe even raised up Antiochus Epiphanes, and he used him to punish the Jews. Uh, that's why I say that this 2330 days, don't try to make it fit Antiochus Epiphanes, because he was a fake. 
there's a real Antichrist coming. And he's a fake. He's a fake Christ. Well, Antiochus was a fake fake. He was a fake Antichrist. But God used him. He was a tool. And then God disposed of him. His power will be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause... And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. (laughs) Now this be the Old Testament saints for Antiochus, for the Antichrist, we're talking about the saints. That would be all of God's chosen uh, Jew, Greek, Gentile, anyone who accepts Jesus. But his cunning shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. You heard the, he's a legend in his own mind. That's that's what Antiochus is. In his own mind, he's great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. Any deja vu here? No human hand. He shall be broken with no human hand. This has been a while back. Chapter 2. Was that in the dream? I'm sorry? The stone cut out of the mountain. The stone, yeah, the stone cut out of a mountain, not by human hands. So destroy it. And, and this is where Antiochus is, is such a, uh example, a foreshadowing of the Antichrist, the end-time Antichrist, but not the Antichrist. But... His, uh, according to the Maccabees, his destruction was not in military. There was plenty of chance to kill him in, in military battles because he was out there fighting, but God chose to kill him by disease. And according to the Maccabees, it was a horrible, uh, painful, painful death that he, that he uh, underwent. And here he says, The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the visions for it refused to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So so Daniel, even after the angels explained it to him, he did not understand it. And uh, I find that always interesting, too, that... Uh, that <laughs> When you ask, when, when the angels, you know, they ask them a question, the angel doesn't really always give them the answer that they want. He gives them the answer they need. And uh, God does the same with us. He, he tells us what we need to know and gives us what we need for today. And uh, the angel is telling Daniel that uh, tomorrow will take care of itself. The vision is for tomorrow. And this is a continuing theme through Daniel. The angels will tell him that again in chapter 12. But he rose and went about the king's business. Now remember, Belshazzar didn't know Daniel, right? He appeared to not have heard of him. But here, 15 years prior, he's still going about the king's business. I don't know what what happened over the next 15 years, but at this point, he's still serving in some capacity. Probably not like he did under Nebuchadnezzar, but he's still serving in in the palace, in the business. Any questions? Lord, 
Pray that you would uh, give us strength for the days to come. Give us wisdom. Help us not to uh, run to and fro looking for what's not there, but, uh, but, uh, but to know what to expect, know what to watch for. And mainly we're watching for you, Lord. Dismiss, dismiss us now in, in our Savior's name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.